0: Uh, Normally, what we do is is roll through books of the Bible. So uh, if you're just visiting, uh, this is just new to you. Here's very simply what what you're witnessing, what you're a part of. Uh, We're a gathered group of people that just loves to celebrate Jesus. And we do that because um, we believe he was God and believe that he came and, and lived the life for us that we couldn't live, died the death, we could never die, and rose again, validating he had full authority over Satan, sin, and death, and then gifts his Holy Spirit to those who are his, who those who lean into that alone to save them in the, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then not only does he uh, indwell you with his spirit, but empowers you to live a life that's to the fullest of joy uh, and fullest of meaning and purpose and alignment with how God originally wired and created all of this to be. And so uh, we're grateful to celebrate Jesus because he really deserves and demands all of that. Now, now here's the thing that, that I'll just say is we're a group of people too that believes though that that should be motivated by more delight than just sheer discipline, right? So uh, we would all agree that that no one has an issue with discipline. It's more about whatever you delight in, whatever you love, whatever your affections are towards. That's what you will uh, aggressively go after to discipline yourself in those things. So because we see God as so good and so glorious, namely and most profoundly in the personal work of Jesus, um, that's what we're going to chase. That's what we're going to go after. That's what's going to shape everything that we do as a gathered people. So um, what we normally do is walk through books of the Bible, just kind of plowing through them. We've been in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a long time. Uh, And we took a short break for a couple of weeks to talk through what are the rhythms of worship. Now now here's what that means. The rhythms of worship kind of help us understand why do we do what we do when we gather. So um, I kind of, this kind of stemmed from my own heart learning, hey, I used to gather for years as a a kid that went to church, but I was never taught or informed why we did anything. Why does some guy get up and talk about the Bible? Why do we sing songs with the band? Why do we partake of what It's called the Lord's table. Why do we pray together? Why do we give? Why why do any of these things happen? So we firmly believe the more informed you are as to why you do those things, that leads to a transformed heart in when you do those things. Okay, and so we just took a short break. I strongly encourage you if you missed any weeks to to go online and listen to. We talked about uh, why we preach. Uh, The next second week we talked about why do we sing. And Then the third week we talked about uh, last week why do we believe the Lord's Supper? Why do we take it? Why do we enjoy that? Why do we celebrate that? And This morning we're going to talk about um, prayer, and um, I'm really glad on the morning we talk about prayer that God gave us the common grace of falling back with our clocks. Okay, so um, if this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because we should all be wide-eyed and bushy-tailed a little more than normal. Okay, so no one's going to fall asleep today. No one's going to check out because uh, God gave us a a lively and deeply important thing to discuss in regards to us talking and communicating uh, with God. And and what I want to focus on though is um, not necessarily individually, okay? We, we've done this. We, we walked through the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. You can go listen to those. We talked about practicalities and, and laboring uh, in prayer with the Lord individually. I want to talk about why do we pray together, uh, why does it matter? Because all these all these rhythms of worship are not just you and God vertically. It's horizontally. He saves you to himself, and he saves you to a people. And if you don't get that, you're robbing yourself continuously of the depths of joy and intimacy that God made you to walk in, okay? So so if you're one of those guys, which is normal, church is a spectator sport. i love to come, show up, look, listen, leave. That's cool, but you're never gonna grow into the depth and intimacy that God designed you to grow in, okay? It's just not gonna happen. And so uh, we wanna talk about not just why do we why are we people that pray? The Bible's clear about that, but it's also equally clear about why we pray together. Um, why do the people of God seek his face and cry out and call and ask together? And so I would say in the end, if we're all honest, including myself, um, no one's in here going isn't important, right? We all know it is, we just all stink at it. Right, If we're honest, okay, so if we're being transparent, that's something we know about. We just all know that we can't quite get there. And here's what normally happens. You hear a sermon on prayer, and you're motivated by guilt and shame, and so you leave. And listen, you're all going to kill it today at home, right? Till til about midnight. You're going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to get right back into the rhythm of prayerlessness. So, so here's my hope. My hope is that we would be motivated by not just guilt and shame and, oh, I have to do this, but the eager invitation that is unbelievable that God invites us into when he says that we get to commune and play a role with God in redemptive history. Um, so if you're in here, you have church background, even if you don't, uh, no one's saying, really? You're supposed to, we're supposed to talk to God? Right? We're supposed to communicate with him? Uh, no, one's, no one's saying that. And in fact, just to encourage you, uh, this encourages me if you look at Paul's life, uh, he's the theological giant of the New Testament. He's somebody that will often say, labor with me in prayer. That's his way of saying, hey, you got to work at this. you got to grow in grace at this. Nobody just wakes up one morning praying constantly. Okay, that's not you. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow going, man, I, 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 probably just, I love praying. I can't wait to pray. It takes discipline. It takes years of walking, years of growing. So let's ask God to, to get us there. Okay, why don't we do that now, and then, and then we'll see what he might have to say to us this morning. God, thank you that even now we have the right to talk to you because of a mediator. His name is Jesus. So we're thankful that Jesus is the one that allows us direct access to you so that we can talk to you, commune with you, cry out to you. God, thank you that you're a God that listens, who's attentive to our cries. And Father, would you shape and mold us into a people that loves to pray, yes, in our closet, yes, in secret, but yes, together. Father, help us Help us to grow in this as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, let me just say the landscape on this topic is full. So uh, I am by no means preaching an exhaustive message on prayer, okay? We're not getting into every last idiosyncrasy of it. I mean, there's some of you guys, even in the spectrum of this room, uh, you're just kind of like taking off, all right, on the runway. You're like, I'm I'm just kind of learning this thing. I'm learning what that's like. Others of you have been walking with Jesus for a while. You're 30,000 feet. You're crushing it. You've been doing that for, you should be preaching this sermon, right? Not me. Then there's others of you who uh, you're just in a straight decline okay? Uh, You're just, I mean, you know, fire's on the engines, and you're not quite sure how to keep it stable. You used to maybe walk with Jesus intimately in prayer. Uh, You've been lacking that for a while lately, and so uh, the the spectrum is full. So here's my hope very simply. Here's what I want to do. I simply want to provide for us three, what I think are three common barriers to prayer, why, why our prayer isn't full, why it's not regular, okay? Just three of those, and then provide for us kind of three reasons why we should pray together, and not just why we should pray together, but how even praying together helps dismantle those barriers, okay? Cool? So that's what we're going to do. So um, we're going to jump in. The, the first uh, just comment, and this is, this is very, I know, unlike me, lecture-like, I'm going to actually have points up, like one, two, three, so all you note-takers, enjoy today. Enjoy this series, and we're going to get back to my crazy just ramblings, okay, in a couple weeks, okay? So, so here's what you've got, barrier number one to prayer. I think we have a genuine misunderstanding of how God sees us in Christ, uh, I think this is this is super true. Okay, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to the person who has leaned into Christ, accepted Christ, trusted in Christ. He is their allegiance. He is their Lord. He's the one who they're found in. Their sins were bought through His death and resurrection, okay, so, so this is what we kind of see is I think the first thing is that we don't really understand this, and, and there are lots of ways that, that God and even the scriptures will talk about the relationship he has to his bride, to his people, okay, so Paul and even himself will say, hey, it's like this marriage, right, that, that we're the, the bridegroom of Christ, that he, he, uh, he purchased us with a covenant love, right, so he keeps his covenant just like we see in marriage, and he'll also use the language Paul used in Galatians 4 and Jesus will use this. Idea that he's dad, that he's father, right? That he he deeply loves us. He has affection for us, um, and and so look at just Luke chapter eleven verse one. This is when the disciples are like, hey, teach us to pray. And so interesting that one of the first things that Jesus reveals God as as he rolls out prayer is God as father. Um, now this, this was very new to Jews, this is very new to the people of the day, but, but this is very profound because what Jesus is showing us is, this is glad invitation. <laughs> this is glad invitation to God, right? This is, this is hopeful, this is meaningful, we're not lost, he sees us, not just as people, but as his kids, Right, and, and I think this is so important for us to see and understand because he could have used anything. You have um, Stoics that believe that, that God is basically uh, unable to feel anything. You have the Deists that believe that God kind of wound up the world let it go. Epicureans believe that you know, God's kind of living in this serenity somewhere. The scriptures teach, the God of the Bible teaches that God is Abba, that he is dad, that he notices us, that he's deeply tied to those who are his in intimate ways, in profound ways, we see that that is true of the God of the scriptures. And so um, that's why this might be helpful if you're you're totally new to prayer. Um, If you want to learn how to pray, I always say don't just look at the religious ways to pray, on your knees, eyes closed, hands folded. That's just for you to focus. Uh, Look at a father who adores his kids. Look at the ways that kids delight and run to their parents who just are so joyful in them. And then let that point you to an infinitely greater moment with a perfect father who is God in heaven. And that's the way that he kind of sees this relationship with us. And I think naturally what a lot that happens for us is we equate uh, child-parent relationships we had in the past, right? So if you grew up in a home where dad was just kind of like the guy that if you said anything or pestered him or bothered him or asked anything, there was immediate discouragement, discipline, you're walking on eggshells, right? Everything is just really tight and careful and... I'm not sure if I should address him. I don't know if is he gonna want to talk to me today or see me today. That bleeds in, but God is not like that. Our God is a God who says, even in our failures and stumblings, come to me. Talk to me, address them to me because of my son, right? Because he celebrates Jesus in you and not you when you pray, and that's why we can have access to him. He delights in our prayers. I think uh, you'll see this lots of places in the scriptures that, that, that God delights in his kids and that we're unaware of this. Psalm 18, 19, he delivered me because he delighted in me. Proverbs 15, 8, the prayer of the upright is his delight. Psalm 34, 15, your eyes are on me. Your ears are attentive to my cry. I mean, the God of the scriptures. And here's what's amazing, because you'll read equal verses that show how serious he is, how holy he is, how infinitely mighty he is. And it's amazing when you're able to funnel your vision into that same God is going, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to invite you into my throne room to commune with me, even though I'm ferocious and great. Man, I'm tender with you and I love you as my son and daughter. Like that's where deep delight and joy starts to take place for you. But if you have a misunderstanding of God's delight in you and the way that he welcomes you in community and communion with himself in prayer, you'll you'll rarely go to him. You'll rarely run to him. You'll rarely seek the face of God. And so we serve a God who delights in our prayers. And I think one of the main reasons uh, this is so hard for us to believe is because we know us, (laughs) right? Right, I mean, we're all so keenly aware of our shortcomings and failings, right? And so because we're all so aware of the evil motive, evil thoughts, the sin that just enslaves us that we walk and that the gospel's freed us from, so we rail against the residual effects of the fall through the power of the gospel and we we grow in holiness, grow in, in his likeness, but as we do that, there are moments where we're just so aware of our sin in light of how awesome he is and I believe that keeps us from running to him and so we run from him. We went from the gathering, we went from talking to him about these things and asking him for help and and this being the cry of our hearts. And but when you understand that God in the gospel has saved you, secured you, is growing you, and sees you and views you through the lens of his son, you have every right to walk into his room and go, Hey Dad, this is what I need. This is my issue this is where I need help. It's clear in the scriptures that he just, he welcomes that. We're gonna to get to that Luke 18 later in the, in the parable that we see there. It's just profound what we see of the God of the scriptures. So let me just uh, say something in this vein that, that might honestly be something you've never thought of. I was thinking about this this week, and this is in the mind of me, right? So you might, you, I don't know how you view me, but I know a lot of it's just crazy. I mean, you think Mike's like, I don't know, up here, he's some like pastor who never sins. I don't know, I, just craziness. So, so here, let me, let, me, let me help you. I had this thought this week, and I want to remind you, and if you're a Christian, um, you're going to be like, yeah, I know that, but no, listen to what I'm saying. Uh, you ready for it? God saved you. Hold on. Or you're like, oh my gosh, seriously? I came for like meaty theology. Really like, tell me something new. No, hold on. You didn't save yourself. God, God saved you. Grabbed you by the coat collar. Ripped you from your trajectory of infinite perishing in hell apart from his name. Wrath that was gonna be poured out on you And he grabbed you through the work of his son and said, you're mine. I want him, I want her. I want to secure him in a family. (laughs) Here's why this is profound in this understanding of prayer. Um, Because if you understand that you didn't save you, then what does that do? That removes any fear or hindrance you have of running to a God thinking, I don't know, are we cool today? Like, are we on good terms today? I mean, I don't know. I did something earlier this morning. I don't know if I can approach him today. No, hold on a second. He saved you with every foreknowledge and understanding of every wicked thought, wayward moment, God-belittling time in your life. He, he died for you knowing every day you'd fall short. Like, that, that's what he did. And Look at this profound text in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, that he's the one who initiated in the first place, seeing you in your crippled state of sin. And he said, I want him, I want her. Look at this, Romans 8, 28 to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, let's back up now. Hold on, God saved you. Okay, so, so what this text is saying is before animals, plants, waters, lakes, rivers, anything was, before anything existed, right? Before anything happened that God created and made, here he says God had already decided in his foreloving, foreknowledge, predetermined love to rescue you and save you. Now, hold on a second. He did all this already knowing every bit of sin you'd commit daily, right? I mean, he, he sent his love towards you and Christ already knowing the ways you'd belittle his name. And he said, I, I still want him. I still want her. That's profound. Just let that settle in. That God saved you, that he initiated, that he did all of this with your perfect life in view. And he still says yes because it's his covenant love, it's his covenant keeping grace, it sustains us in all of this, right? Not what we decided to do, what we thought was cute or clever, but in God's authority alone. And so the scriptures constantly like this are going to over and over communicate to you the level of God's deep, profound love for you that brings you to an unshakable place you can stand on knowing even God's call in our lives and salvation is a place to rest and find security because that means it's not based upon what you do or don't do today. It's based upon a covenant love that he already displayed to you in Christ. And so you can always approach his throne room. You can always go talk to dad. That's amazing, an amazing reality, that God listens and responds because of his covenant pursuit, not because of ours. He doesn't listen to you, friends, because of how you acted today. Like, he doesn't turn his ear towards you. He does it solely because of his amazing, relentless chasing of you and pursuit of you in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why he allows us to do that. So number one, let's try and ask God to reframe our understanding of how God views us and sees us and has affection for us as Christians. Number two, uh, I think just pride. (laughs) You want something more than that? No, that's it. Just very simply our pride. Now let me flesh that out for you. Um, You and I are people who totally forget that God is the active agent in this whole thing. Right? And, and everything around you is just gonna bolster confidence in you. So, what we're gonna do is we're gonna grow up with an illusion of control. We're gonna grow up believing that we have all of this control and authority over everything in our life. And hear me, and you know this, if you live long enough, you know that you don't have that. But you can't control what your boss will do tomorrow. You can't control death, whether it's coming in a week or 10,000 years or a year or 50. You can't control your kids, you can't control your spouse. And here's the thing, if you go into any bookstore, you're going to find books that will tell you you can. Right? So, so you'll read anything on any subject, whether it's exercise, whether it's marriage, whether it's relationships. Hey, just do these things, then this will happen. If you do this for them, then they'll do this for you. And that is all so short of gospel living. So that's manipulation birthed out of wanting to control someone. Your marriage will dilapitate immediately under that foolishness. Right? What you need is someone to say, hold on, regardless of how you act, regardless of how you perform or respond, I'm indwelt by a power that's greater than the world, and that enables me to do things that are outside of what culture and society would tell me to do. I'm rescued by a risen Christ, but I'm secured by a God who says, regardless of what you do, I love you in a covenant-keeping love, so I can extend that to my spouse and extend that to the family of God and extend that to others in ways that, that are mind-blowing, and so we don't live by being driven by the law, we're driven by grace. Because the irony is, the people that live in those types of things, hey, fill his love tank, I'll fill his and hers, and that's great. But you know what that does at the end of the day? The law is driving your marriage. I'll, I'll respect him as long as he loves me, because that's what I want. And, and I'll love her really well, so then I get the respect I deserve as a man. And you might not think you believe that, but subconsciously you're living in that way. And the law is driving your marriage. Grace isn't driving your marriage. And so I know nothing around us is gonna not is gonna nothing around us is gonna keep us from believing that. So here's what here's what prayer does. Prayer reminds us who the active agent is. It doesn't mean we don't make wise decisions. Making wise decisions isn't controlling your environment. At the end of it all, it's in the lap of God, right? And we can see this clearly in text after text after text, but prayer does two things for us. It shows the complete sufficiency of God and the total helplessness of man. And hear me, that's actually a great spot to be in. Like, I don't wanna be God, I don't wanna be in full authority. Truly I don't, I think I do. But in reality, I know that's not best for me because I'm a terrible God. I have no foresight of the future. I have no ability or understanding to do and work and control all that God alone has done to work and control and do. And so this gives us a great understanding of his infinite wealth. How he can give an answer without need or help from anyone or anything. And you realize I desperately need his full sufficiency. I have to have it. Um, a guy, Tim Keller, probably none of you have heard of, he said this. He said, um, God will answer all of our prayers exactly like we would answer our prayers if we knew all he knew. I swear that's like scripture, but I can't find the text exactly for, for that. But, but you, know what he, you know what that speaks to? Our limitation. You're not in full authority. You're not the active agent. God is. A profound truth. Just speaks to our finite perspective. That's why, guys, when you pray, I mean, whether you realize it or not, you know that's why you're asking in the first place? You're fundamentally acknowledging, I got nothing on this. You're the active agent in this whole thing, you produce what you can produce. Spiritually, I can't produce anything. Look at what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 3, verse 14. Amazing section of scripture. Look what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Then look at what he asks for. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, right? You don't have a chart for it. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. All that God is, all that God does, his infinite perfections and character, you're filled with that. You have understanding and senses and experiences of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could all ask or think according to the power at work within us. So, so Paul goes, I'm praying, I'm praying for the church at Ephesus that, that he, that, that God would allow the Holy Spirit of God that's in you, right? The active agent that he sent in a Trinitarian God, the third member of the Trinity, hey he's going to activate something inside of you. A prayer is going to be infused with the Holy Spirit of God to allow you a number of things, right? And he, and he walks through this list. He says um, I want you to, this produce producing you a sense and experience of the living Christ that surpasses knowledge that you can't put a framework around. That, that's number one. Now, if you're a Christian, we'd all say, amen, Mike, I want that, right? No one's going, mm. if you're a Christian, no one's going, mm, no, not sure yet, right? Then he rolls into that you might be filled with the fullness of God, that you be able to be filled with all that you might understand in his fullness of character, his fullness of might, his fullness of glory. I want to be filled with all of that truth that manifests itself in a profound way that expands in my soul through prayer, Everyone's going, yeah, I, I want that. Okay, well then don't miss his benediction. None of that's gonna happen through you mustering it up tomorrow. Now to him who is able, not you, not me, to him, to do far abundantly more than we could ever ask or think According to the active agent, the Holy Spirit of God that's at work within us. So a fullest strengthening of the Holy Spirit that leads to an experience of the love of Christ that's off the charts, being filled with the fullness of God. Paul's saying that takes prayer. That takes an active agent that takes all that you accumulate in your spiritual bank, all that you read in the Bible, all that you hear through sermons, all that you discuss in community group. All of that is taken, infused with prayer to then expand that in your soul to a place where you're walking and going, I can't believe this. That that, that wasn't by you just waking up, thinking cute thoughts, and looking inside, right? That was through you beseeching and calling on a God who says, ask me, I'm the one. Now, to him who's able to do it all, right, this is what Paul is begging for. He realizes, even in the gospel, even in the love of Christ, the Ephesian uh, saints, man, they can't, in their own minds and will and strength, get this. Like, they need something outside of themselves. This is profound, That we call on God to basically ignite all of this. Friends, God does more through our humble asking than a lifetime of your efforts. Now, listen, I thought that this week, and I thought right after that, hard to believe that. You want to know why? Glad you asked. Because we're creatures of instantaneous results. And we buy the lie that "Mm, by praying, I'm not seeing anything. Oh, but don't be fooled. There is miraculous divine power happening in your prayers that you might not see or might not materialize, but that does not change the truth of what the scriptures tell us, and that He listens, He hears, and He's acting. So what if we realize as a family that just us humbly asking will produce more than a lifetime of effort, a lifetime of doing it? I'm not not saying we don't do. I'm not saying we don't have godly ambition. I'm not saying that we storm these doors and take over Bergen County with the name and glory and renown of Jesus. I'm not saying that that we don't want people to be stirred with a passion. I'm saying in of your own efforts and work, it's not going to happen. Like spiritually, we can't produce any of that. And, and, and this is, is why we gather at Sundays at 9 a.m. together. This is why the last Wednesday of every month we gather in here together for corporate prayer because it's a place for us to say, God, would you do what we can't do? Would you help happen in this place what we can't create? Would you do in this church, among this place, among these people, what only you alone can do? God, you're in charge of it. You're the one who can stir up in people a passion for your renown in your name. And it might take years, we might not even get to see it until we hit the grave, but hey, we know this is the way primarily it's going to happen. And as we pray, we go, we work, we labor, we do, but all being infused by the power that hits the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us, that enables us to see and believe that God is at work. So it's just a matter of do we believe that? Or do we really think and buy the lie that we're the active agent? I think most of us do. Pastoral ministry. <laughs> I mean, I know when I'm wearing myself out during the week, and I am not praying enough. When I'm relying on self-sufficiency and not his infinite sufficiency. I feel that. I see that I just can't do this. I can't produce that. God, do what only you can do. And so what we're doing, guys, is we're just putting the kindling in place, hoping it'll light, but you can't light the fire. Does that make sense? Only God can light it. So we do all we can to get the kindling in order. Hey, let's gather, let's pray, let's seek God, and then, hey, God, we're asking you to light it. And then number three, uh, I think another big barrier is very simply, we don't believe the spiritual battle is real. Uh, we are totally ignorant to warfare. Now, 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 hear me, listen, some of you guys, either you're not a Christian, you're going, oh, man, is this one of those like, you know, guys who thinks the demon's in my donut. You know, he, the flat tire, the nail, he put it there. I don't know might have, probably not. Probably just, you ran over where it said construction and you shouldn't have driven there, right? So you have a flat tire. So it's not Satan made me do all these things, but there is, we believe, in the scriptures that that God has allowed control of the enemy and all his adversaries, yet he's in full authority of them, yet there is is reigning that he has here in this already not yet that we live in. And so there are adversaries that hate God's church and hate God's family and want to do everything they can to assault you with doubt, with discouragement, sway you from the truth, plant seeds, do all of that, to keep you from living and interacting the way that God designed us to live. We believe that wholeheartedly. So we believe we don't sit back with no warfare. That's why if you actually read Ephesians 6 and understand Paul just unpacked this whole amazing list of, hey, here is how the enemy works. You need to arm yourself. Right? He just wrote this letter to the Ephesians talking about all that they were in Christ, how this lives out in practice of their daily lives. And then he says, at the bottom of just listing for them spiritual warfare, he says, hey, all of this has to be directly connected with prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18, he says this, praying at all times in the Spirit, right? So, so Christians pray with a power that no other belief system can. They can pray with well wishes. They can pray with demonic forces. But they can't pray with the Holy Spirit of God that indwells the Christian so praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keeping alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Paul directly connects prayer with the spiritual battle. And the main reason we lack prayerfulness is because we don't really believe. There are demonic forces that hate God's work and hate God's family. Plain and simple. Simple. Because if we did, we'd be crying out with our spouses. We'd be on our knees by our kids' bed much more than we are. We'd be together as a church much more than we do. Believe that this this thing that we call church, local assembly, that, that there are assaults being made at it. Because Satan hates aggressively that, man, that God birthed a new work in a, in a church and, and that we started in a house and moved to the hotel and moved here and that, that God's growing it, that God's building up disciples, that God is saving people, that marriages are being stretched and saved and secured and rescued. Man, do you think he loves that? He hates that. And so he wants to assault that. And so here we see that it's very, very much just an unawareness of the spiritual battle. Christians across the board think it's just peacetime we operate that way now now how do you think parents are doing with their kid in the middle east you think they're on their knees at the table why because there's imminent threat imminent danger they're aware of that protect guide give wisdom like like no non-christian or christian they're appealing to something i, I can't do this i can't control that i can't help that god would you intervene And I think maybe this is why a lot of us are not led to cry out, to gather together. God, would you show up? God, would you save sinners? God, would you protect us? Now, those are some of the barriers. Now, here's where we're gonna land is let's roll into why then pray together and how that might help us dismantle these barriers. Um, And listen, I know when you think about prayer, immediately it jumps to private prayer, but the scriptures clearly call on the church to pray together. Look, the book of Acts alone records profound movements of God in the church's early years, and he almost always connects them to corporate prayer, to praying together. Um, Just a a list here, right? Acts one, Acts two, the 120 were gathered in the upper room praying in one accord when Pentecost comes. Acts one, the disciples prayed together for wisdom as to who would replace Judas. Acts two, the early church, a mark of them was they devoted themselves to prayer together corporately. Acts 4, 23 to 31, you can read that. They prayed together when they learned of the Sanhedrin threats. So when, when, they, when they felt unease, when they felt the enemy advancing, when they felt threats, man, they, they gathered together to pray. The church prayed together for God to deliver Peter in Acts 12. Paul and Silas, when uh, they were praying together when God sent an earthquake that resulted in the jailer coming to Christ and their release in Acts 16. These are just a few. And listen, please hear me i would never discourage private prayer (laughs) please like like oh my gosh let's aggressively go after that that as well right i'm just saying if you look at, because you've got ananias right in acts 9 he was alone with god when god told him hey go see paul you've got paul or i think it's peter on the rooftop by himself in acts chapter 10 when he gets the vision from god to go meet cornelius the first gentile and tell him about jesus you have all those things, but listen, the majority of God's recorded workings came when his people prayed together. And even just historically in the church, if you look at the great revivals, you look at the ways that God's God showed up. It's incredible. So let's not just dismiss this because we don't like it or it makes us uncomfortable. Or we think it's dry. And I know I'm pressing. I know I'm probing. But let's just look at this just real quickly. Why pray together as a people? Why should that be something that we do together? Number one, praying together is a primary way through which God chooses to advance his kingdom. Um, One of the reasons the early church gathered together to pray was because They believed God was the active agent in changing hearts, in changing events, and allowing their prayers to participate in the ordained means for him to accomplish all of his, Ephesians 1.11, purposes that perfectly align with his perfect will. They totally got that. Now, you can see that a lot, but you see in Acts chapter 12, Peter's thrown in prison by Herod and the church gathers to pray. They're like, hey God, do something, right? Let's come together and pray because we got issues, we've got concerns, we have a pastor who is not doing well. So Peter, Acts 12, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on, now Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in on the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands. Church gathers together. Sure enough, God shows up, God moves powerfully. Chains fall off, Peter walks out of prison. It's a good day in the neighborhood, right? See this in Acts 4. Peter and John are in prison, right? Now, now, here's the thing. Peter and John are in prison. Church leaders are in prison. You would think out of fear they go, man, we should just stick to our private prayer corners and just pray alone out of fear. No, they gather together. They gather together to pray amidst threats. So counterintuitive, Instead of, you know, they risk coming together. Corporate prayer was that important enough that they gathered together to pray, praising God for his sovereignty and asking for boldness in the face of threats. It's an amazing prayer. If you just read chapter four, starting verse 23 to 31, an amazing prayer. And it ends with, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So God shows up through their prayers as their leaders were jailed and they were released. They go, hey, no, let's keep gathering together because this, this matters, this is powerful, this is important. As they gather together, through that prayer, God shifts the evangelism method to, hey, come here, my pastor, to, hey, man, maybe we should live and speak boldly where God sovereignly placed us in our day-to-day. Amazing, all through prayer, all through the power of a gathered people of God. So hear me. Praying together helps dismantle this barrier of pride because as you pray with others, you're being reminded as they were, God, we can't do this. God, we and you're hearing other people acknowledge that. You're being reminded as other people speak this and share this, that's right. Man, we, we are not the active agent in this thing. God is, and I can't believe we have access to God that we can talk to him and cry out to him and, and beg him for these things, and that he listens and he delights in us talking and calling. So it helps us dismantle the barrier of pride. You know, I say all the time, what we need is not just information, we need transformation. I say it all the time. Because you know what the enemy would love for you to do? Come in week after week and just listen to some stuff. Sing some songs and leave totally untransformed but fully informed. I was in, um, in college when, when God really got a hold of me and, and, and revealed to me just how massive God was and how sinful I was. And I started reading the Bible, really, even though I grew up, man, I was a church kid that walked the aisle 23 times at every youth camp and prayed the prayer and uh, bringing all my friends. And, and even though I was that kid, right, that did all of that, I had a, a low view of God, I had a low understanding of prayer, a low understanding of really reading and devouring and being excited about the Bible, and, and God in his grace did, just ignited that in me my first year of college, and so what happened was, is after reading, I'm going, man, I just want to like tell people about this, I want to tell people about this God that I'm discovering, right, through the Bible, and so um, I start a little Bible study um, my third year, and uh, I'm like, hey guys, we're just going to go through, you know, let's do a light book, let's do Hebrews, right, so let's just start going through Hebrews and looking at it, some of you got that, so. It's really deep, great book, profound, but man, just meaty, right? We don't even know who wrote it. So don't even know it should be in the No, it should be in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Just, just kidding. Come on. So so here's what's going on. Easy. So here's what's going on. So so I'm we're going through Hebrews. We go through first Peter as we're going through those scriptures. This group just starts to grow. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. And then I was like, I'm gonna just see something. So one of our evenings, I said, hey guys, next week. We're gonna kind of come together. Uh, we're not gonna study anything. We're just gonna pray. <laughs> Moisés got it, <laughs> right? I go. We're just gonna. We're just gonna pray. You know how many people came the next week? <laughs> Man, church growth strategy, right? I mean, we were we were cruising. Yeah, I want I want to learn a bunch of information, Mike. Let's talk about it. Let's dig deep. Let's grow in our theology. Let's let our heads grow big and grow in pride and arrogance because we know more now than everybody else. But as soon as I say, hey, let's, let's have a prayer meeting, we had zero. Me and my buddy John are the only two that showed up there because we let it. We had to be there, right? <laughs> and I show up and we sat and I, I, remember, I remember, I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. Just sitting there going, all right, let's start praying. Maybe people trickle in, maybe next week 35 I even had someone say hey when are you gonna do that prayer thing again thinking they want to come <laughs> they're like hold on hold on when are you oh yeah yeah. no that's gonna be oh, okay I just want to sure what I can like go away and you know on vacation <laughs> I'm like you know as much as we laugh deeply sad and, and here's what we missed right here's what was lost we don't see the need for transformation we don't, we don't see the need for God to be the active agent, and we just want to know stuff. We just want to be informed. We just want to know how to think, and those are deeply important things. You guys know that we are all about, as a people of God, thinking rightly and knowing what's true and knowing what the Bible says. But but God also elevate in us our understanding of, okay, we can read every last verse in here, but if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't show up, man, you're walking out the same mannequin you walked in. It's just that simple. So corporate prayer shifts our thinking from I have to to I get to, just like the people in Acts. Man, I get to join God in the role of redemptive history with other brothers and sisters. Like we get to together see God show up, answer prayer, and celebrate it together. Number two, uh, praying together deeply unifies us, and it strengthens our faith. Um, Think about this, just practically. Individual prayer is all about your needs, your thoughts, your discouragements, your brokenness. You know what's so beautiful about the last Wednesday of every month and Sunday morning, when I get to hear other people talk about brokenness, when I get to hear their thoughts and their feelings and their affections, and all of a sudden they become mine too. They're not just me and God, it's us and him. There's something amazing that happens in that space. All of a sudden my eyes begin to be lifted up to where I start to become concerned about my brother or sister and what they feel and how they're burdened. And it becomes not just about me and God, but us and God, which the Bible clearly shows is necessary for the family of God to operate rightly. It's a profound strengthener of faith um, I mentioned this in singing. Uh, sometimes, you know, in singing, the power of listening to people. I said when we sang, it was just, it was, that Sunday was, I mean, every Sunday is awesome, but that Sunday was just like amazing because the singing afterwards, you were thoughtful about, man, why I'm singing, who I'm singing to. And I told you about sometimes I'll just stop and listen to your voices as you sing and declare truths about God. And I'll look around the room knowing just the depths of the darkest nights you've walked and sing. you say, Christ is where my hope is found today. And seeing that bolsters my faith. I mean, seeing people, it's the same way with prayer. Coming and gathering together for prayer, seeing people discouraged, many coming from work, acknowledging, I don't want to be here, but I'm here, and God lifting their spirits, igniting their soul, and doing something in their mind and heart. That, that's, that's faith building, that's strengthening for me. It's amazing, it's profound. I'm reminded that I'm not alone, me. I'm talking as Pastor Mike. I'm reminded that, man, I'm, I'm in this war together, and that's why this also dismantles the unawareness of the spiritual battle. Man, we get together, I am so much more keenly aware of the enemy going after us as a family, Because I'm hearing other people pray, reminding, just like this morning at 9 a.m., reminding me, hey, I'm getting up to preach the word. I'm actually reminded by being in that room with other brothers and sisters, man, I'm gonna be assaulted as I walk down the aisle to stand in my front row of the chair before I get up to preach, thinking other things, discouraged, not sure if it's gonna go well. Is this what I really am supposed to say, Lord? How are you gonna work? How are you gonna act? I'm aware of it so I can take those thoughts captive and say, no, he has no hold on me. Christ has authority over the enemy, right? He that's within me is greater than he that's of the world and I get up and I can preach with boldness, but that can't just happen. It's awesome what prayer together does. God designed it that way. Not just alone, but together. Paul speaks of this in his report to the Colossian church. Colossians, or, uh, chapter four, verse 12. Epaphras, this is Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness... That he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Epaphras was the founding pastor in Colossae. He was away on business, becomes a Christian, someone preaches the gospel to him. He goes back, plants a church in his hometown in Colossae, and what happens? He's heard praying at prayer meetings. Oh man, Epaphras, you should hear the way he prays for you. You should hear the way he loves you. He's commended for that. He's commended for the ways that he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't sleep, he clung to the feet of God on their behalf. I remember one particular uh, corporate prayer together. It was a while back. And lots of awesome things happened. But we usually split up at the end of our time, praying corporately together, seeking God's face, just together, just, you know, with with groups. And I remember a, a person that was there in that particular one. And they were just deeply struggling with their belief that God was good. Belief that God was in a particular situation. Struggling with even, does God hear them? What is that like? And their transparency encouraged the mess out of us. And then to pray for them together and to come back, conceding months, and watch God change their heart. It was amazing. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, and still talking and seeing just the reforming of their heart and soul come and we get to all celebrate that together and that bolsters our faith and unifies us and strengthens us because God is a God that hears, God is a God that listens, God is a God that shows up and God is a God that is kind and attentive to our cries. And we got to see that together and so it just reminded me again, man. Yes, Satan wants to divide. Satan wants to think God is not at work. God is not powerful. I mean, think about John seventeen, right? The high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. I mean, one of the one things he says is going to mark you, so the people know that I that I'm your God, that I'm your Jesus, that I died for you. Things that are going to mark you is your unity. I'm thinking, get out all the apologetic books. Right? I'm gonna show you, you know, I'll send you tons of websites. I'm gonna just get at you and show you why the scriptures are inerrant and infallible, and why you can trust this and why God is real and dismantle all these other thoughts. And Jesus says, no, when you're unified. So don't you think that, G- that Satan would love to just disunify us? And prayer is a way to unify us. So why are we not aggressively pursuing that? Let's chase that. Lastly, praying together teaches us how to pray. This, this, is, this is beautiful. Um, you know, Luke chapter 11, when, when you know, the disciples are around and going, hey, can you teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray? And they, they were always eavesdropping on Jesus, learning how to pray by listening how Jesus prayed. One of the best ways you can, and listen, if I might, none of you have arrived at prayer. Okay? If I could lovingly say that. Because some of you are like, but I already pray awesome, so I don't need to learn. Well, because you said that means you need to learn, right? So, so pride, number two, go back, rinse and repeat, right? You're not the active agent, you don't really get, so I'm just saying, to be humble enough so yeah, I, can, I can grow in learning how to pray together. You see this in the New Testament that no one just wakes up just praying constantly. Like, you just don't do it. And this is a way to foster affections for you for God. This is a way for you to grow in your prayers. You pray in community group together. As you pray at Sunday at nine together, as we pray on the last Wednesday of the month together. Those are just a few avenues we've given. And and I love it. I hear about people gathering during the week to pray together. Praise the Lord. But I'm saying there is something rich about us with a scheduled time to say, hey, we're as a family saying and believing these things. That's just our heart in this. And it helps teach you how to pray. A great way to learn how to pray is by being with those who do. You know, just like your kids. If your parents, pray with your kids. We pray with Jackson every night. Pray with Jackson during the day at specific moments because prayer is a lot of times more caught than taught. He listens... It's been so amazing. So many parents know this. Over time, the way that Jackson prays now, it used to be uh, A, B, C, D, God, thank you for feeding me. Amen. That used to be his prayer, right? Um, Good, you got like the first five letters of the alphabet. Let's grow in that. So it's changed to, God, thank you that you're the giver of food, right? He didn't learn that because we taught it to him. We pray that. All of a sudden, he just started praying it the other day. I was like, man, that's my son, right? Like, (laughs) right, like... Like I just, you know, watch, someone's going to forget it all, right? He's not that, he sins a lot. Don't think that, trust me, you guys all know Jackson. He's the one that screams. He's the one that has like no respect for authority. He, no, love him dearly. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, seeing his heart, his heart, get shaped by just listening. And that's what we're doing. Just like in singing, you come, just listen to other people pray. I have learned how to pray by being with this body, hearing them pray. I have. It has helped me grow in prayer. It's has helped me learn how to pray. So can I just, we're gonna close. I'm gonna throw out a wild truth to you. And then we're actually just gonna pray, we're gonna practice. We're gonna pray through the Lord's Prayer together. And then we're gonna sing and celebrate God. And ask him to help us to walk into this with eagerness and not guilt and shame. But, but here's what I want to throw out to you. Um, I firmly believe that the reason that every single one of you is sitting in this room is because of prayer. Firmly believe it. Because before we moved here four years ago to plant this church three years ago, Kristen and I were gathering with our community group back home, begging God, God, bring the people that you want to that future church. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the name's gonna be. I don't know where it's gonna be. But God, would you establish it? Would you provide the people that would grow in their knowledge of you, that would be, come to a saving understanding of Jesus? You know, we, we say this all the time. We did something that no church playing man would tell you to do. We didn't really solicit anybody, literally. I mean, I remember, remember gathering with the first 18 of us You know, in that house going, we just kept asking God to do it. God, build it up. God, would you create it? God, would you establish it? Like, isn't that amazing? Like, like, the testimony of God's prayer is you sitting in the seat right now today, that you're here. Regardless, whether your friend pestered you, neighbor wanted you to be here, whether you're just here because, I don't know, you heard about some church in a warehouse, is that really even a thing? You came, I don't know how you ended up here, but you're here, I'm telling you, because of the sovereign call of God through his prayers that are used by him to accomplish his means and ends. And he is doing that for you. Being here and sitting here, that is profound. So here's what we want to do. We don't want to presume upon his grace. He's been so kind to us. He's been so good to us. We're going to end together. You can pray with your spouse. You can pray with your friend. You can pray in your heart. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you're like, well, this is so weird. They're going to pray. Listen, you're a church, so I'm sure that's not like shocking to you that, oh my goodness, they're going to pray. No, we're going to pray. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to look at. I want you to just understand what you're seeing. You're seeing or you're hearing or whatever. People who are so aware of their shortcomings so aware of their need, so aware of their hypocrisy, but a God who still relentlessly, relentlessly pursues them despite their failures. A God who says, yes, you can still cry out, you can still call, a God who's eager to forgive sin because of Christ. That's what you're seeing. So let's just take a few moments. Here's, we're just gonna simply go through just the abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. And this is just structural, not formulaic. We already discussed that, but, but it's a good guide for us. So the first is, Father, hallowed be your name. Um, I want us to take a few minutes where we are just to pray. And, And what this simply means is you first thank God for being dad. If you're a Christian, you thank God for being dad, that being in Christ makes him your father. But you also thank him for being ferociously great. Hallowed be your name. You're mighty, you're holy. Just to simply take some time to praise God for who he is and what he's done, where has he elevated kindness over your life? Where has he been merciful to you this week? Go ahead and take a few moments and just pray, however God asks you to do that. The next is your kingdom come. I'd even encourage you if you're with your spouse to hold their hand. You can whisper it if you're with a friend. Or silently if you're alone. Your kingdom come. This is an acknowledgement. This tests your will and desires. Not my kingdom, Jesus, but yours. Make much of, my, make much of you in my life Help me to fall back into the shadows and for you to increase in me. Help me to see more of what you want for us, what you want for this season. Lay your demands and your wants in the sense of the things that you must have down. Just say, God, God, I gladly submit my life to you. Take a few moments to do that. Your kingdom come. Next is God give us our daily bread what is it that you need spiritually, physically maybe it's you're in a dark place spiritually (laughs) God reveal your love to me reveal the kindness of your son to me I just don't see it God there's a circumstance that I cannot control would you control this would you help me to release control to you Maybe you're just refusing to accept the invitation that Jesus offers in his son. God, would you make my heart of stone a heart of flesh? Maybe it's a lack of trust. God, would you help me to trust you for my daily need, my daily bread, my daily income? Take a few moments, God, give us this day our daily bread. And lastly, lead us not into temptation. Where is your heart prone to go outside the gospel? Fame, greed, lust, appeasement, approval of man, gluttony. God, save us from lesser things. God, as we leave these doors, would your guard, would your arm deliver us from the temptations of lesser things? Deliver us from things that will destroy our marriages, destroy our families, potentially destroy our lives. We claim and plead the blood of Jesus. Pray a few moments, Lord, lead us away from temptation. God, thank you that we can come to the table now. That we can even commune and access you because of the broken body, shed blood of Jesus. God, thank you that it is in your ransoming life, death, and resurrection that we can come and celebrate and share in the good news of the gospel. God, I thank you that all of these prayers are meaningful only because of the slaughtering of your son and the rising of his body from the grave. God, as we partake of the table, would you help us to celebrate well? God, as we sing songs to one another, would we be singing these songs to you and to one another, reminding each of us this is who God is, this is what he's done, this is what we have. And Father, will we leave not motivated by guilt, but an eagerness to walk into this unbelievable invitation you've asked for us to attend much more than we did before we entered today. Conform us, shape us, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.